and welcome to episode three of Bombazo, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. It's the transfer window edition, which is very exciting because, yes, finally the transfer window is closed in Spain. You all know how much we all love transfers. I am joined, as always, by Alexandra Jonsson. How are you? Do you love transfers as much as I do? I love them a lot, a lot. Everyone who, who knows me knows that I, I missed the silly season, deadline days, my favorite part of the season. Not really. No, but I'm, I'm happy it's over and that we can finally focus on the season. Exactly. Yeah, silly season, actually, I should explain as well. Like, if you're not in Scandinavia, that's what in Sweden they call the transfer window and all the fuss that comes with it. And I kind of like that because it really sums up the silly part for me is exactly what it's about. Um, so, in terms of last minute, Scandinavian transfer news is not much, and especially in, when it comes to ingoings. Although, one thing actually today, it looks like um, former Racing and Villarreal defender, amongst others, and Sweden legend Olaf Melbari should be taking over at Helsingborg. So, that's kind of cool. And he's a promising coach and someone who I think in the future maybe could end up back in Spain. So, we'll see. Keep an eye on that. Um, but in terms of the, the transfers, it's more about who didn't leave rather than who did as well. But we'll get to that. We thought that today we would take a look at some of our transfer window winners uh, and losers in terms of what they've done in the market. Losers is definitely me because I am so done with this. Uh, I'm ready for actual football. I'm ready to focus on, on what's happening in the league rather than what might be. Uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, yeah, so let's start. Out, who should we start with? Our winners, I guess. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I think we we discussed this beforehand just to see who who we think are the winners and losers, and we're pretty on the same page. So so we'll just go through them, I guess. Um, starting with the winners. Yeah, winners. I think the the obvious one for me is Atletico Madrid. I feel, I feel like I mean, captain obvious to the rescue. They're they're top of the league. They've won their first three games, but. In general, it feels like their moves were very sensible and we've not actually even seen all of their signings in action yet or in uh, regular action yet. So I feel like there's even more to come from them. But yeah, I think the, the major signings so far have had at least one game where you've thought, okay, this looks good. Uh, Lodi was excellent at the weekend, I thought, uh, not just with the assist for Vitolo for the, the second goal um, against Eibar, but in general, uh, the way he played, the way he stretched play, reminded me a lot of Felipe Luis, which is what Atleti have effectively been trying to find ever since uh, Felipe first went to Chelsea for that brief season and they had to just bring him back because they couldn't replace him. Um, and then on the other side, uh, Kieran Trippier has been very good in general uh, and obviously Joe Felix has appeared and done some pretty impressive stuff. I don't know, have you been satisfied with what you've seen from Atletico so far? Yeah, and what I also find uh, a bit interesting when we talk about, about their transfer window is that they're actually one of the clubs that lost some of mm. the, if we look back historically, so to say, in, yeah. in the modern history or what to call it, uh, some of the most important players for Atletico during the Simeon era, era they are, have lost Godin, they've lost Griezmann, they've lost Juan Fran, uh, and, and so on. Players have been really, really important for them. And uh, when that happens to a club, even though I'd say it, it's really the, the right time for that to happen, because as players, uh, if we don't speak about Griezmann in that sense, because he's still mm. very much in his peak, uh, but that there are players who, who are perhaps at, at the end of their careers and, and so forth. But the, So in most cases, when you get to a point when you lose players, if 
been so significant for such a long time, it's often very, very difficult to replace them. And there, there will be a, you will need some time to, to find the right players or to find the new style and, and so forth. And there, I think Atleti have done really, really well this summer because they found exactly what they want to do. They figured that out and they got in yeah. the right players. And, and now we're sitting here and feeling really excited about them, more excited about them than any of the other two top clubs uh, that we normally speak about. And, and they look very, very strong. They started the league very strong. And and as you say, these are players that they have brought in that, that's so far been really good and that I think most of us are, are very excited to see more from. Well, it looks like, like what you mentioned, that they just planned it really well. They knew that this was coming um, in a lot of cases. They knew that sooner or later Godin would go, that sooner or later Juan Fran and Felipe would be gone. And probably they knew that sooner or later Griezmann would go as well. So they've had time to think about it. And from what we've seen so far, they thought about it well because the, the results, or at least the short-term results, are positive. And then I and think the other... Oh, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, one other point is uh, if we remember a few few seasons back when Falcao left uh, mm. Atletico Madrid, there was a lot of people who, who wondered how is Atletico going, going to do with this? This was their big star who had been mm. so important for them. A little bit like Griezmann in, mm. in this situation. And that turned out quite well. And it feels yeah. like they, they're not going to miss Grisman as much as I think some people thought they would. Yeah, I think I, I pointed this out like on that subject and it only occurred to me the other day and I don't know why I hadn't thought of this, but the, the season or the summer that Falcao left, we were all thinking, okay, how the hell are they going to deal with this? Their like, main striker is probably going to be Diego Costa who had done well the, the year before, but not outstandingly well, not like you know 25 goals a season well. And Falcao, I think, was up in 30 in all competitions. Um, so we were curious how that was going to work out and then in the end they went on and won the La Liga title so it obviously worked out okay for them um, and then I think so the next uh, transfer window winner if you like I think is pretty clear and I'm guessing that you agree is Real Sociedad not just from what they've done at the start but also what they did at the end um, I'm guessing you're impressed right? Yeah I think they've done a, done a, duh, done a really very good <laughs> Summer and from a Scandinavian perspective, of course, it's very exciting for us to see both Martin Adegord as well as Alexander Isa come there. That are two very young and very talented players who, for I think we've discussed this before as well, that just come to the right type of club at the right time of their career. I think where the development is going to be be very well. But more than them, they've had, for instance, Porto, who I think you can give us a little bit insight on soon, uh, as it's a player you know very well coming from Girona and now ending up with uh, Monterrey. And, and Robert Navarro in the last uh, days as well. Um, it is a very young squad, we have to say, and they've done quite quite a few signings that are very young as well. So that's where my main concern is with Real Sociedad. Um, and also there that I feel like they've, ever since Abi Prieto left, they've been missing this real leadership on the pitch. Uh, but when we look at the the type of players they're bringing in, is very interesting players and, and very strong players. I think that, that can be very interesting to see what they can do with. Yeah, I think on that subject of the the fact that there's so many young players there, I think that's why Nacho Monreal is such an important signing for them because they they really need some experience in there and, and he has bags of that. And he's still a very good player. I think he's going to do well there. And I think more than just what he would do on the pitch in terms of a leadership role, it would be important. Um, Porto, yeah, it's a strange one. Um, he was excellent at Girona apart from last season. And I think to, to his credit, we can... We can probably put that down to the fact that he he thought and everyone thought that he was going to be at Sevilla last season up until the very end of the summer window and then in the end Sevilla weren't quite willing to meet Girona's valuation so he stayed there and actually I think it was one of those situations where 
somewhat like Griezmann at Atletico where it might have been better off for the player and it might have been better off even for his uh, club at the time if he had left then and they'd been able to use that money to, to reinvest in someone who was fully committed. But I've been quite impressed with what I've seen of him so far, especially um, two weekends ago in the second weekend of the season um, against uh, Mallorca. I thought he was pretty good as well and had a good impact. So uh, I'm quietly optimistic about him, but there's a little bit of doubt, I think, because of uh, how his uh, last season went for him in La Liga. Uh, so if we're going to move on to, to other clubs who we're not going to go to the losers just yet, I think we'll, we'll save that a little bit and, and talk about a few clubs that have done quite decent uh uh, summer transfers, but there might still be some worries. Um, so if we will start with with one club that I had just here where I am, which is uh, Salta de Vigo, I think maybe did uh, the most exciting signings uh, yesterday, mm. at least in mm. La Liga with Rafinha coming back home. Um, to, before I go into it, what do you think about the about Salta summer? Yeah, I think that I think I said this before on Twitter, but I really find it hard to see how Salta's matches are going to end up nil nil this season. <laughs> Because they've made some really exciting signings, but the the most exciting ones by far are attacking creative players. Um, which, if you buy into the philosophy that if you have the ball, then you can't be scored against, then I guess that's going to work. But I do worry with them, and I've had this worry with Celta for a while that they maybe have a little bit of a soft underbelly. I said this last week, I think that I feel like they they need a little bit of steel, like just some nasty players, someone to toughen them up a little bit. And I don't know if they really managed to do that. But you have a better insight into them in detail. What do you think? How balanced do you think their squad is? Well, yeah, that that's where I'm a little bit concerned as well, is the is the unbalance. But just before going a little bit more deeper to that, uh, just want to point out, I think that if we take any fan group in, in Spain right now, I think probably Celtas is the one who are the most happy with what has happened this summer. Because mm-hmm. uh, they basically got all these players that they love, that they've missed, that, that they lost coming back to them. So I think we often, at least I end up in, in discussions with people where you look at a club and you talk about all the great youth players they've had or, or a few great players they've had over the years. And it's like, imagine if they had them all at the same time. And that's a little bit what's happening at Celta right now. It's all of these, some of the best youth players that have ever come up for, for their youth ranks. Um, that never really played together at Celta because they were all dragged away to different clubs, top clubs in Europe, and now they're all coming back. And it's not that they're coming back in uh, at the end of their career to just play a lost season with their home club. They're coming back at their peak. Uh, so that is very, very exciting times for the Celta fans. And I think uh, some of them are taking it a little bit too far, <laughs> hearing uh, tw- or seeing tweets from a lot of Celta fans about, oh, let's let's win a title this season, let's go to <laughs> Europe. Uh, so I think that that is a bit taking it a little bit too far, but it's definitely a lot of excitement. And what is also important, uh, and I think uh, important to point out as well, is the excitement among the players of getting these players back. Because seeing like yesterday when Rafinha was being announced, I think four hours before the club announced him, uh, Iaguaspas was on Twitter writing, announce, announce. <laughs> uh, and then Celta, when they announced him, they, they wrote like, Aspas, are you, are we going to do it? Uh, and as soon as he was announced, you had Denis Suarez being out there posting pictures of him and Rafinha playing in the youth teams of Celta when they were kids. Uh, and it's like, it's about time you come home, dude. Uh, so there's a lot of excitement in the team among the players of, of getting all of these players to, to finally get to play together. Um, and it's a lot of heart uh, and things like that that is very important. And if we take Rafinha before we move on, um, it's, I think it's quite important to understand because sure, he's from Brazil. He's not actually born in Vigo. 
but he grew up here. He grew up outside exactly. of Vigo in Igran. His his father Massinho played for for Salta de Vigo, so he came yeah. here when he was two years old. There is this amazing video which I posted on on Twitter yesterday of Rafinha and his older brother when I think Rafa is two and Thiago is four. Uh, running around playing football on the Belaidos pitch. And, and Rafinha basically had those formative years of, of his growing up in Vigo, those years, I think, where you identify yourself with your hometown kind of thing uh, between the ages of, let's say, 6 to 12, 13. That's, that's when he lived in, in Vigo. So for him, it's very special. Uh, and I said a lot of Celta fans are very, very happy right now. But I can tell you the two people that's most happy in Galicia right now that uh, is his mother and uh, and his sister. Oh, and his little brother as well. Because his little brother, little sister and mother, they live in Vigo. So he's actually uh-huh. coming home uh, and get to, to stay with them. Mm. So that is also a very important part in, in that signing. But going back to the unbalanced thing, uh, it's that we it's a lot of attacking players, a lot of mm. technically good players and very exciting players to watch. And it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, watching yeah. Celta this season. It's going to be a lot of goals. But we also have the main problem Problem, which has been the problem for Celta de Vigo for season after season, and that is the defense. And they've basically only done one signing there, which is mm-hmm. Aidu, which I think is a really interesting signing, and I think he started very well. Uh, so there's a positive. We have the positive of Fran Escriba actually knowing how to make a defense, which previous coaches didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is, as you said, a big unbalance in this team. And you don't have these nasty players uh, and this like toughness, which we've had in the Celta midfield when it's gone really well for them previously when they went out in Europe and stuff like that. That's where they're miss- missing. And that's uh, the thing that you might forget when you are all hyped over all these homecomings and all these great players that the, that are coming home and the excitement around that. So I think there there's reason to be excited. It's going to be fun. But there's also reason to be a little bit worried about the the balance of the team. Uh, so speaking about teams that we were not really sure about and speaking about teams who are fun, uh, Real Betis. Now, Betis are a strange one in the sense that I, I'm all, I, I have to make sure that I reserve my judgment on them in the transfer market now because last season I looked at what they did and I was like, oh, this team's going to compete for their fourth place. Like they, They've made some incredible signings when uh, Serra Ferrer was still there. Um, and I thought, no, there, there's an opportunity here, and they really didn't. Um, so in some sense, I think they've made some excellent signings that were obvious. So we'll both agree, I would imagine, that Borja Iglesias is exactly what they needed. They needed a proper number nine. They've got that. Um, I also think, from my personal point of view, that the coach is an upgrade. I think that Ruby is a more balanced coach and that he's a slightly more pragmatic coach than Kike Setien, and he will adapt how he uh, sets his team out depending on the opponent. It will take some time for it to set in. I think that will work out. But at the same time, I still, again, feel like there's a lack of balance in their squad, especially at the back. They have a team that was built, really, to, to play a three-man defence, and they're not going to be playing that most of the season. Uh, so I think there's big question marks over how their squad balance looks. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I agree. Definitely very, very excited to see, see Borja Iglesias and also Fekir, who I, I think has so far, Fekir has already mm-hmm. scored two goals in three matches, uh, and it's very exciting. Uh, Borja has obviously been injured already. <laughs> Uh, but he's uh, he had the incredible shot in the last match. I don't know if you saw it, which had it gone in, it could have been a contender for goal of the season, basically. Uh, and what I think is uh, interesting to to point out with Borja Iglesias as well um, that you might people might already know might not is that this is only his second season in yeah. La Liga. Um, if we go back to 2016-17 season, he was actually playing in the third division, so Segunda B, for Celta's B team, scoring 34 goals. 
The season after that, he played for the first time in the second division of Spanish football for Zaragoza. He scored 22 goals. And the season after that, last season, he played his first season in La Liga for Espanyol. And he scored 17 mm-hmm. goals. So what's very impressive with him is that he always scores a tons, mm-hmm. a tons of goals. No matter team he plays for, no matter division he plays for. Uh, so he's definitely that player that I think Betis missed last season because he didn't have a proper goal scorer, as you said. Uh, but then again, the, the worrying part is the defense. And they haven't really done any signings there. And that's where they, they actually needed to do a signing. Yeah. So that, that's a worrying part for, for Betis, for sure. Uh, speaking of teams who didn't necessarily make signings in the places that we thought they really needed it, but made signings elsewhere, we'll move on to our, our uh, losers now. Uh, and somewhat surprisingly, maybe it feels like some of the bigger teams are some of the teams that came out worse in this transfer window. I'll start with Real Madrid. Um, what a really underwhelming end to the transfer window for them. I mean, okay, they've done an exchange for goalkeeper, but not really something that they necessarily needed. Um, and then in, that was very exciting, yeah, very very exciting. Exactly, that was one of the what the bomba, the bombato, if you want, that Zidane was talking about was that they're going to trade their res, not reserve their backup keeper. Okay, great. Um, I think in general it's been a terrible transfer window for Zidane. Actually, if the whole point that he of him coming back to Madrid was that he would get more power over signings and that he would be able to start this revolution that everyone was talking about, then okay, it's not been much of a revolution. So we'll, we'll list it if you like. Uh, he wanted rid of Gareth Bale. Bale ends up staying, digging his heels in and staying, and he's the guy who completely saves their skin against Villarreal. Uh, he wanted rid of James Rodriguez, <laughs> and then the Real Madrid get humiliated in the preseason against Atletico Madrid, and suddenly James can't go because Atleti were the only team willing to pay the money that they wanted for him. And then James ends up playing, and they needed him as well against Valladolid. Um, he wanted Paul Pogba. He's a guy that he targeted, was absolutely sure that he wanted to build his team around. Manchester United say, no, sorry, if you're, if you're not paying our valuation, then you can't have them. They don't get them, and it seems like there's no backup option. Again, still no major midfield signing that they need. And so he's left, effectively, with the exception of in a couple of positions where they now have more options. Eden Hazard, obviously, we've not seen yet. But he's left, effectively, with more or less the same group of players that he had before. And he still has to try and turn things around. And already they're displaying the same problems as last season. We've seen that with them dropping points. Um, in the first three rounds so personally from my point of view I think if I was a Real Madrid fan I'd be really disappointed with most of the the business that they've done in this window Um, and perhaps maybe in in an odd way one of the best pieces of business that they've they've uh, done in the long term will be loaning Martin Erdegaard to Real Sociedad because the way he's playing and especially in a central role I feel like sooner rather than later if he keeps it up they might need him back at the Bernabeu Uh, what do you think? No, I definitely agree with you. And and a little bit of a funny thing is that I almost feel like the the best signing, so to say, they did this summer was to actually keep Gareth Bale, mm. even though they didn't want to, because uh, he's been the the one dragging the team so far this season. Even though we're very short into the season, um, I think the the mental strength that he's showed after this summer and after how he's actually been treated and how atle- uh, how Real Madrid have openly been saying that they want to get rid of him. He still stays and still managed to go out on the pitch and, and be the most important player for them and, and getting the goals and is showing that uh, this is what I can mm. do. And this is why I'm here from the start. Uh, so even though he's the play, one of the players that they wanted to get rid of, Zidane wanted to get rid of so far this season, mm. it feels like that's one of the, the biggest things they've done this summer is that they actually got to keep him even though they didn't want I to. I think to be fair, actually, one thing I should point out, a player who does look a positive for me of the, the signings so far is Mendy. 
Um, I thought he looked really, really good against Villarreal. He did a great job keeping Chiquese completely under wraps, which is not easy because he's a very quick player. So to be fair, that's that's one player that they've targeted for a key possession where they've needed to strengthen who looks like he could be good. And I reckon if he keeps it up, then we might see Marcelo on the bench more often than not um, throughout this season. And to be honest, that's, that's been a long time coming. Um, but we'll wrap up Real Madrid and we'll move on to another team. And I, I think this is the if there's competition for which coach had a worse transfer window, then Marcelino definitely gives uh, Zidane a run for his money. Um, we talked about Rafinha already. The fact that Rafinha ended up at Celta is incredibly embarrassing for Marcelino. And I suspect he won't have taken that kindly because and he's openly said he was one of his key targets. He's openly said also that Denis Suarez was one of his key targets. And what happens? Both of those players end up at a club which in theory has lesser resources than Valencia. Uh, who in theory couldn't outmuscle Valencia in the market. And two players that he absolutely said, these these are players that I want for this uh, creative role that I need to add to my squad, end up elsewhere. So that's humiliating. Um, and then he also sees the, the club basically trying to sell Rodrigo, another key player for him, under his nose. And only by, by a twist of fortune, really, that Atletico couldn't get Ankel Correa off the books does Rodrigo not end up going to Atleti. Um, but you're left with a player who thought he was leaving, who the fans all know wanted to leave and who probably isn't fully committed to the cause to come back to the, the theme from Porto from the season before at Girona is in a similar situation. Uh, so for me, it feels like a really awful window for Valencia. And I'm I'm worried that now that the, the confidence and the trust between Marcelino and the owner, Peter Lim, is completely broken, that it won't take very much for that relationship to end up in a separation, that depending on how results go down the line that we could either see Peter Lim pulling the trigger or what seems more likely to me and, and honestly I could understand this decision is that Marcelino just says okay I can do no more my hands are tied uh, I, I've tried the hardest to, to make this team move on I've delivered a trophy I've delivered fourth place twice um, but you refuse to back me in the market so I, I'm, I'm really I think it's worth keeping an eye on how things develop at Valencia I think there could be big big problems for them this, this season if they don't get off to the kind of start that they want. Yeah, it must be a really frustrating work environment for a coach to be at a club like Valencia, especially during a summer like this. It's just nothing really ever works out the way you, you plan it to. And it's just going chaotic and, and everything that's going on, on internally, it will have to affect at some point what's going on on the pitch as well. And we've also seen Valencia had had a struggle at the start of the season. You look at the at the main squad, they still have a really, really strong squad, even though they haven't really managed to do the transfers that they wanted to. Uh, but it, will, it affects the players. And I think if... Uh, uh, a team that we're going to talk a little bit about sooner, Sevilla, who who managed often mm. to get this player, the best out of players at Valencia we've seen over the last few years. More often than not, uh, a lot of really, really strong players just underperforming a lot, which have gone hand in hand with how the situation inside the club has been. So that is uh, is a really frustrating situa- situation for Los Che to be in and that they are basically always in, it feels yeah. like. All right, so a few a few final question marks, I guess, teams that we were sort of having doubts about. Um, Sevilla have made a ridiculous number of signings in this window. Monchi has probably not had an hour's sleep throughout the entire summer. Um, a lot of them are very exciting, like most recently with Chicharito coming. I think that's really exciting. He brings potentially a, a good number of goals and he brings a lot of experience. Bono as well is potentially a very good signing, a goalkeeper who I think has some weaknesses, but also who has a lot of potential. Uh, but at the same time, trying to settle in that amount of players quickly is always a big ask. It helps that Julian Lopetegui has a very clear philosophy, I think. Um, but this is still there's there's potentially a recipe for trouble there. What do you think of Sevilla's window? 
I think that had it been any other club, I would be really, really worried about it being so many players and as, as you say to get them all and find their space uh, their spot and and so on and and there is still a, a doubt around that of course uh, but I think if there's one club where that could mm. actually somehow magically work it is at Sevilla because that's what we not we haven't seen it in this magnitude with this many players coming at the same time but what we've seen during the over 17 years that Monchi been there uh, before he left for Roma is how players who's failed to fit in at other teams have just magically done so directly at Sevilla and it's normally not taken too much time for them to adapt it's just the I think the way that that Sevilla works and Monchi works and how they make sure that they don't just sign a player and then forget about him they actually care about the players in in a way I think many clubs forget Mm. to do Uh, and they're very very good at integrating the players uh, and getting the absolute best of them now this is a lot of players it's going to be a hard work for them to manage to do that with all of these players so there is definitely a worry about that but it is very exciting signings and if they can do that in the way they've done before and manage somehow to do all of this 15s when what 15 I think it's 13 or something like that uh uh, it's it's going to be very very impressive. But then again, Monchi has done things that is very very impressive in the, in the in the past. So we'll see how it goes. But it can can go both ways really. Actually, from a Scandinavian point of uh, point of view, we should point out that Simon Kier is no longer at Sevilla, or at least no longer um, playing for Sevilla. He's gone to Atalanta. I think it's a loan initially, um, but it takes him off the books. And it was an odd one because at my my view of Simon Kerr and Sevilla fans' view of Simon Kerr apparently seems to be quite different. And I think that's also quite important in understanding both Sevilla and Betis as clubs that really, for Sevilla and Betis, that place is the centre of the world. And what you might decide to be uh, your opinion about their teams can be completely different to the fans. So for me, I thought Simon Kerr played a lot of games for them. He played most, even last season when he was sort of phased out at the end of the season he still played most of the matches over the whole course of the campaign i thought he'd been pretty dependable pretty solid really good in the air perhaps maybe not technically uh as excellent as a center back as some other players could be um but in general thought he was uh solid and then i looked on some of the like the sevilla fan forums and they really i don't know for whatever reason they didn't like him i think what i didn't realize was that when they signed him he was the most expensive defender that sevilla had ever signed and so I think when you come with that expectation, it means that people really want to see something special from you. And I think the fans felt like they hadn't quite seen him deliver on that level and that he was also an expensive wage. But also, I mean, I feel like in the long term, when the dust settles, um, people will probably look back on at least fondly from that uh, 2-1 away win at Old Trafford uh, and the Champions League, which got them through to the quarterfinals, which was a huge moment for them. And will go down as a huge moment in the club's history. He played 90 minutes in that game. And I think in general, he was hardworking, uh, he played in a lot of big games. So I, I don't think there'll be any negative view of him, but I think there'll also be a, a sense of disappointment that maybe more could have come from the, the Dane. Um, and then finally, I guess just briefly on in terms of the question marks, I have a sort of vague question mark over Villarreal as well, who I feel like already we're seeing some of the same signs from last season that they are not able to hold on to a lead, uh, that they don't seem to have the, the experience to, to see games out. And that they're capable of stepping up and doing really impressive things against the best big teams. But at the same time, I, I don't see the cutting edge and the ruthlessness that's going to get them three points week after week to make sure they're not in danger again. Uh, so I'm, I'm somewhat concerned. 
Yeah, I think one one player that they are really missing at this point and, and have been for a while now is their captain, Bruno Soriano, who's been out injured for two years. This is actually his last season, uh, his last mm. season on his contract, uh, and he's still fighting to get back. But he's he's been such an important figure for Villarreal uh, before he got injured in mm. terms of just being the leader on the pitch, in terms of being a player who never gives up and just makes sure that no other player rests for a second. Uh, and losing a player like that, we've really seen a different Villarreal, I would say, after that. They they haven't been able to, to stay as strong um, as we've seen this season, as we saw last season, I think. Arguably as well. I think it's easy to forget that before he got that um, long-term injury, that for me and for a lot of people, um, he was the closest to Sergio Busquets in La Liga in terms of his level and that holding midfield role. He was that good and that consistent. And he was in the Spain picture as well, which tells you enough. Um, so yeah, that's a huge loss. I hadn't thought about that. Anyway, finally, I guess the, the team that doesn't fit into any of these categories, uh, the team that doesn't make signings, Athletic Club. Yeah, if we're going to run up really, really short with Athletic, I think it's quite interesting that they haven't done a, a single signing this season more than taking up a few kids from the B team. Uh, instead, they've been getting rid of players to to make the squad uh, smaller and putting players out on loan and, and stuff like that. Uh, and what I take out of that is that they just have a really good... Well, f- first of all, they, they have their Basque-only policy, so it's difficult for mm-hmm. them to make signings and they don't have, have as many to, to pick from. Uh, but it also shows that if there is no one out there that is better than what you already get, uh, what you already have, why go and try get yeah. them? Uh, and that's what I feel what Athletic have been doing this summer. They haven't even been looking uh, to make any signings. Um, and they have a very united squad and they've started the season really strong and they feel very, very united as a team. Like they, they know what they are doing um, and they re- don't really need to, to get anyone new in in that sense. But one of the kids that they have promoted, which I just want to highlight because I find it quite fun and, and interesting, uh, is uh, Guy Skalara Sabal, who's a 21-year-old, who's a winger. Uh, he will be fighting mostly with Ibai Gomez and Oscar de Marcos to get some minutes in the first team. Um, and he's actually the son of one of the most legendary players of Athletic Club in their history. Probably the best left back that Athletic have ever had, who is Aitor Lara Sabal. And I think it was in 97 that the, that he celebrated a goal for Athletic with a pacifier uh, <laughs> for his, uh, his his son who was about to be born, who is Gaiska. And another fun anecdote is that Aitor played with Aritz Aduris when Gaiska was just five years wow. old. Aritz was 21. And then this season, with Gaiska being 21, Aduris has now played with him. Yeah. So Aduris has played with both father and son, which I think is a, a lovely story. That's really cool. Uh, 17 years in between. Yeah, so that is, I think, wrapping it up. Uh, and if we're just going to, before we end, just go through... Now, with the transfer window closed, mm-hmm. I think we can just go through with what scandals are in La Liga yeah. as the season goes on. Because there's been a, a not well, there's been two coming in, uh, but there's been a few leaving yeah. as well. So, so what we have is in Real Sociedad we have Martin Odegaard and Alexander Isak, who are both very excited about. In Deportivo Alaves, we still have Jon Gudetti. Alaves wanted to get rid of him, uh, to be completely frank. Uh, but there was just no one out there who would pay uh, his salary, which is quite high. So he hangs on at Alaves, and he's probably not going to get a lot of playing time because he's not in the plans of, of Garitano, and I think he's the third or fourth choice now in the attack, and they've done uh, quite a few signings in there as well. At Celta, Pionicisto stays, which is another one that Celta would have liked to get rid mm-hmm. of, um, tried to get rid of, but didn't. 
Uh, I think Sisto is going to have a little bit more chance than Gudetti maybe, but not much at all, especially not with Rafinha signing as well. Uh, so that's going to be really difficult for him. Uh, at Leganes, we have Martin Braithwaite, who is probably is the one of very few Danes left yeah. from it's it being so many Danes. Exodus. Yeah, and, and probably the one who's most exciting mm-hmm. of the Danes. And then in Valencia, we of course have, have Daniel Vaz, yeah. who's uh, probably the, the most strongest regular yeah player we've had for quite a long time in, in La Liga. Uh, Daniel Vaz, who we should say, is probably very happy that Valencia have now signed a right-back because it means he might actually get to play in the preferred positions in the midfield and further forward. And then, yeah, in terms of Sisto and Gadetti in particular, it feels like the only thing that could help them out is if there are some injury problems and then maybe they're forced to get back into the setup. But anyway, that's enough of the transfer window. Uh, it's the international break. There's no La Liga next weekend. But what there is, is uh, Alexander Isak against Martin Erdegaard when uh, Sweden play Norway. So I suspect we'll have something to say about that. And uh, we'll try and think of something different as well to, to give you next Monday that isn't just running over international football. Maybe looking back on some of the great Scandinavian players to grace the Spanish game over the years. But that's all from us for now. So I guess it's time for us to say, well, Hedo, goodbye, Finzara. A bunch of different... Auf Wiedersehen. Oh, oh my God. She's mixing it up. I have to learn a new language. All right. I'll go with ciao. That's the easy one. So we'll see you next Monday. Adios.